Hello, people of Earth and Anchor and Spotify podcast listeners. Welcome to the December 10th, 2023 Midday Movie Madness News and Flashback Fun mini episode. I'm your host, Movie Guru. Happy birthday today to Midcape Sports athlete Rebecca Latimer, TV actress Raven Simone, actor and director Sir Kenneth Bana, football player Joe Burrow, chef Bobby Flay, who's 59, the late poet Emily Dickinson, and the late actor Michael Clark Duncan. 1999's The Green Mile and The Cider House Rules, 2021's West Side Story remake and Being the Ricardos, 2003's Big Big Fish, 2020's The Silver Skates, and 2010's The Tourism, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, all debuted on this date among many others. It was on this very day, December 9th, December 10th, 2005, when then two-month-old Winter the Dolphin was found in her, with her tail and stuck in a crab trap and was rescued by the Clearwater Marine Aquarium. Though she's been gone for two years now, her spirit and inspiring message of never giving up in the face of harsh odds lives on. The world will never forget you, Winter. The Clearwater Marines Aquarium's Facebook page announced today it brings warmth to our hearts to announce Winter's Garden, located outside the front of the front entrance of the Clearwater Marine Aquarium. On Thursday, December 21st, guests will have the opportunity to visit Winter's Garden and remember her, her spirit, and how she inspired millions of people around the world. Winter, the star of Dolphin Tail, lost her tail after becoming entangled in a crab trap line. The team at Clearwater Marine Aquarium worked with the Hanger Clinic to develop a prosthetic tail, allowing Winter to thrive and inspire millions around the world. Sadly, she passed away in November 2021 of a gastrointestinal issue, but like I said, her spirit lives on. I have some news, some good, uh, some not so good before today's flashback fun. First, the not so good. Hollywood lost another star Friday. ABCnews.gov.com reported December 8th night, Ryan O'Neill, the actor known for films like Paper, Moon, and Love Story, has died. His son Patrick O'Neill shared on Instagram on Friday. He was 82. This is just so hard for us, Patrick O'Neill said in the caption of an Instagram post. Ryan made such an impact, and this will be difficult without him. This is and will be a huge void in our lives. Prior to acting, Ryan O'Neill was a professional boxer. Born Patrick Ryan O'Neill on April 20th, 1941 in Los Angeles to writer Charles O'Neill and actress Patricia O'Callaghan. He trained as a boxer and competed in two Golden Gloves championships before landing a role as a stuntman on a TV show called Tales of the Vikings, according to biography on about the actor on his website. The role fueled his interest in acting and began landing several television appearances on shows like The Many Loves of Dobby Gales in 1960 and Leave it to Beaver in 1961. He landed his first major television role in the primetime soap opera Payton Place in 1964, while he portrayed the character Rodney Harrington. 
1970, he took on the role of Oliver Baird IV in the romance film Love Story, which he starred along alongside Ally McGraw. The film follows Ryan O'Neill's character and McGraw's who fall in love regardless of their upbringing. Ryan O'Neill's performance in the movie earned him an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor and a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actor. The following year, he went on to star in What's Up Doc alongside Barbara Streisand. He had a prime profile relationship with the late actress Farrah Fawcett. The couple were never married, but were together for almost 20 years. The couple had a son together named Redmond and starred on the TV series Small Sacrifices. They were together until Fawcett's death in 2009. In 2021, Ryan O'Neill was honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame with McGraw. His star is located next to Fawcett's. He was also known for his role in 1973's dramedy Paper Moon, which also starred his daughter Tatum O'Neill. Tatum won Best Supporting Actress Academy Award for her role in the film, and he got a Golden Globe nomination for his part. Sad news just broke for reality TV walkers. Mama June Shannon's oldest daughter, Anna Chickadee Cardswell, Cardwell, has lost her fight with stage four adrenal carcinoma cancer today. I mean, last night. Shannon posted the, new, the heartbreaking news on Instagram today saying Anna died peacefully at their home, peacefully in her home last night. 29-year-old Cardwell had been diagnosed with the cancer back in January, so she fought it for 10 long months. She appeared with her sister, Honey Boo Boo Thompson, and mom on TLC's Toddler and Tiaras, and then later in Here Comes Honey Boo Boo. Alas, 75-year-old writer and producer Stan Grogel passed December 6th. He was known for his TV works, uh, for his works on the TV series Lizzie McGuire, Playing for Time, 20, Flight 29 Dial, Afterworld, Darcy's Wild Life, State of Grace, Woke Up Dead, and the, 19, and the film's 1994's All I Want for Christmas, and the Lizzie McGuire movie in 2003, among many others. So sad. Rest in peace. Sorry to disappoint you, Station 19 fans, but ABC is checking out of the Firefighter Base Grey's Anatomy spinoff after the upcoming seventh season. That's right, folks. ABC has canned, has axed yet another film, has taxed another show. Ouch. And much better news. Calling Stranger Things fans. It's go time. Deadline, or technically nearly go time. Deadline.com reported December 8th. The gang is returning to Hawkins. After a delay due to the WGA and SAG after strikes, boo. Production on the final seasons of Netflix's Stranger Things is expected to get underway in early January, sources tell Deadline. Things are still in flux, but multiple sources say Monday, January 8th is the target start date, with January 5th also being mentioned. 
Cast members are believed to already be in Atlanta for Stranger Things films for prep work, with table reads also slated for the next couple of weeks before cameras start rolling in the new year. Stranger Things was close to starting production on Season 5 when the WGA strike began May 2nd. Scripts had been completed by then, but faced with the prospect of filming without writers on set, creators, executive producers, and showrunners, the Duffer Brothers, opted to postpone production, which was then delayed further by the actor's strike. Wonderful news for anime fans. TheHail.com announced today, for the first time in Hayao Miyazaki's decade-spanning career, the 82-year-old Japanese anime master is number one at the North American box office. Hooray! Miyazaki's latest enchantment, The Boy and the Heron, debuted with $12.8 million, according to studio estimates. The Boy and the Heron, the long-awaited animated fantasy from the director of Spirited Away, My Neighbor Totoro, and other cherished anime classics, is only the third film to ever top the box office, the third anime to ever top the box office in U.S. and Canadian theaters, and the first original anime film to do so. The film, which is playing in both subtitled and dubbed versions, is also the first fully foreign film to land atop the domestic box office this year. Though Miyazaki's film movies have often been enormous hits in Japan and Asia, they've traditionally made less of a mark in North American cinemas. The director's previously best performer was his last movie, 2013's The Wind Rises, which grossed $5.2 million, million in its entire domestic run. The Boy and the Heron, which early collected $56 million in Japan, for years was expected to be Miyazaki's swan song. But just as it was making its premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival in September, Junichi Nishioka, Studio Ghibli Vice President, said the previously retired Miyazaki, Miyazaki is still working towards another film. Speaking of anime, the seventh season of the anime version of the hit Magna, My Hero Academia, Academia will debut in spring 2024. Playbill.com reported December 7th, recording artist and film star Jennifer Lopez will star in a screened version of Candor and Ebb's 1992 musical Kiss of the Spider-Woman, according to a report in Variety. Bill Condon, Dream Girls Beauty and the Beast, is directing. The independently financed project was reportedly seeking an unknown to play Molina with production to begin as soon as next February. Based on Man- Manuel Puig's 1976 novel, Kiss of the Spider-Woman centers on a pair of cellmates in an Argentine prison. Valentin is a political revolutionary, while Molina is a gay window dresser who takes care of him by telling him stories of his favorite films, many of which star his favorite movie star of all, Aurora. But the one he fears telling is Aurora's greatest role, the Spider-Woman. The novel was adopted by Puig himself into a 1983 stage play and is an Academy Award-winning film in 1985, starring Broadway favorite Raul Julia, John Kander, Fred Ebb, and Terrence McNally's stage musical 
expanded its stage musical version expanded the story somewhat, making Aurora a character who appears in a number of fantasy sequences. Cheetah Rivera created the role and won a Tony Award for her performance, later succeeded by Vanessa Williams in her Broadway debut. It's flashback fun time, folks! With the anticipated remake of The Color Purple out two weeks from tomorrow and will be talked about on Thursday's show by Father Bob Engelman of California, has suggested it's time to take a look back at the original film based on Alice Walker's Pulitzer Prize-winning 1982 book, The Same Name, the Steven Spielberg-directed Color Purple, starring Whoopi Goldberg in her breakthrough role, Danny Glover, Oprah Winfrey in her first film, William Pug, Margaret, Margaret Avery, and Ray Don Chong, came aim out in limited release on December 18th, 1985, so it's about to turn 38, and then went nationwide on February 7th, 1986. The coming-of-age histor- I mean, period, period drama follows Cecily, a young African-American who struggles to find her identity after suffering abuse from her father and others over four decades. It shows the problems African-American women faced during the early 20th century, which includes racism, domestic violence, incest, sexism, and poverty. The film marked a departure from Spielberg's trademark summer hit blockbusters for which he was known, and it was his first film that wasn't composed by John Williams. Instead, Quincy Jones, who helped produce the film, was the composer. Despite mixed critical reactions, it did make $98.4 million in theaters and was up for 11 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Actress for Goldberg, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Supporting Actress for both Avery and Winfrey. Alas, Spielberg was snubbed a Best Director nom, but it failed to win any, tying the record with, set by 1977's The Turning Point for the most Oscar nominations without one win. It's remake with Fantasia Barrino in her feature film debut, Danielle Brooks, Corey Hawkins, her, Hale Berry, and Taraji P. Henson opens up on Christmas Day. According to IMDb.com, during the film's shoot, Steven Spielberg's first child was born, and he ha- was happily called away from the set while prepping the scene where Celie gives birth leaving the scene to his assistant director. He later used the sounds of his newborn crying in the same scene of her giving birth, which, obviously, he had to miss uh, to see his child being born. Patti LaBelle actually auditioned for the Shug Avery role, and Spielberg heavily chased Chaka Khan to take the role, but... Later, Khan admitted to being too scared to take the role at the time. Let's dive deep into one of the most beloved Christmas stories on film ever. Um, No offense to you, Grinch, Santa, Rudolph, Frosty, 
Jesus' birth, Little Drummer Boy, and Old St. Nick, or It's a Wonderful Life. It's the 1947 dramedy Miracle on 34th Street, directed and written by George Seaton. The, the May 2nd, 1947 film, yes, folks, it actually opened in May of all months, stars Maureen O'Hara, Edmund Gwen, John Payne, and Natalie Wood. The annual Christmas time favorite set between Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve in New York City does not require a plot recap. It took home three Oscars. Seaton for Best Writing Screenplay, Gwen for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, and Valentine Davis for Best Writing Original Story. It was up for Best Picture, but lost to... A Gentleman's Agreement, a more serious-toned remake written by John Hughes from Seaton's Story with Richard Attenborough, Mara Wilson, Elizabeth Perkins, and Dylan McDermott was released in 1994. According to IMDb.com, unbeknownst to countless parade watchers, Edward One really played Santa Claus in the May... In the no- real November 28, 1946, Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade, he fulfilled the duties of most parade Santas, including addressing the car- crowd from Macy's Marquee after the parade was done. He was introduced to the crowd by Philip Tong, who played Mr. Shellhammer, and later unveiled mechanical Christmas display windows to the accompaniment of Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker Suit. Sweet, which symbolized the opening of the Christmas season at the time. Did you know that Percy Hilton, who played the drunk Santa, was also in 1954's White Christmas, where he plays the train conductor? And finally, with Christmas happening in just over two weeks, well, technically two weeks from tomorrow, it seems appropriate to end this holiday movie flashback with the most unconventional Christmas film ever, 1988's action film Die Hard. Based on the 1979 novel Nothing Lost Forever, the July 15, 1988 film with Bruce Willis, the late Alan Rickman, Paul Gleason, Gunov, Alexander Gunov, and Bonnie Bedelia was the first film to introduce moviegoers to Willis's New York City Police Detective John McCain and is a very iconic, famous catchphrase. And Rickman's perfectly played terrorist Hans Gruber. Withstanding the test of time, the film does not even need a recap. According to its Wikipedia page, defying production, Die Hard gross approximately 140 million dollars becoming the year's 10th highest grossing film and the highest grossing action film receiving four academy award nominations it elevated willis to leading man status and made rickman a celebrity die hard has been critically reevaluated and is now considered one of the greatest action films it can it is considered to have revitalized the action genre largely due to its depiction of McCain as a vulnerable and fallible protagonist in contrast with the muscle-bound and invincible heroes of other films of the period. 
Die Hard is often named one of the best Christmas films, although its status as a Christmas film is disputed. Its enormous franchise includes video games, sequels, which are 1990's Die Hard 2, 1995's Die Hard with a Vengeance, Live Free or Die Hard in 1997, and 2013's A Good Day to Die Hard, comics, and lots more merchandise. According to IMDb.com, Bruce Willis's favorite role has always been John McClane. And Alan Rickman nearly passed up the Hans Gruber role, which ended up being his first ever film role. He had just arrived in Hollywood two days beforehand and was appalled by the idea of his first role being an action film's villain. To a point, Rickman was right to be concerned. His performance of as Gruber was so praised, he struggled being typecast as a player of villains for much of his career. He had been an accomplished TV and theater film star, but had never been a part of a film previously. He nearly said no to the role. He stated in a Hollywood Reporter interview, I'm not doing an action movie. But agents convinced him who hadn't been in Hollywood. Agents convinced him he hadn't even been in Hollywood a week, and the rest is history. What's unusual for the heir's action movie, in the film, the villain, the hero, never actually get into a fistfight, emphasizing that this is a battle of wits between the two. That's all for this week's news and flashback fun, folks. So, until we meet again, and stay safe, Watch lots of DVDs and get to the theaters if you can. Bye now, my minions.